0: The Y-Curve, with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing.
1: The breakthrough that will make everything cleverer and better, solve insoluble problems and enable
2: medical miracles. Or is it the end of humanity? Super intelligent computers deciding on balance. They can do without these dim, annoying apes and getting rid of us altogether. We're talking about artificial intelligence, the subject
1: du jour for politicians who can't decide if it's a massive economic opportunity On the scale of the Industrial Revolution, or a threat bigger than asteroids, pandemics and nuclear war? So what is the truth about AI? And is there any effective way to control it without losing the advantages? Or
2: are we in the last days of mankind? The why. So you know what? I use ChatGBT, which is, you know, a form of, uh, of artificial intelligence, to ask, who is Roger Hearing? Mm-hmm. And it said, Roger Hearing is a journalist and former news presenter. He's worked as a presenter on the BBC World Service and at Bloomberg Radio. That's all it said. Yes, didn't actually go into a great deal. No, no, there's nothing else to be said. I'm a current news presenter, I might say, but yeah, they also got that wrong, didn't it? Yeah, there's it. So then it said, "Who is Phil Dobby?" I asked the same question as Phil Dobby. It says Phil Dobby is a journalist and former news presenter. He's worked as a presenter on the BBC World Service and at Bloomberg Radio. Ah. It's got me confused with you. It yes. thinks we are the, the same, same person.
1: person. Well, we speak at the same time. You
2: see, <laughs> exactly. Perhaps they're right. Perhaps yes. it's just yeah. this is our We have become, have become well, one consciousness. Into, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's uh,
1: terrifying. But yes, but this is an issue. The so reason being, AI gets it wrong.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, wrong information in and yeah. wrong conclusions. So imagine up. if that was then taken. Yes. Uh, I could be offered a job based on your experience. And a, a bonus for whoever gives me the job, obviously. <laughs> Or (laughs) conversely, the other way around. Yes. So I also asked Bing, their AI engine, um, which is ChatGDP, isn't it? What are the rights and dangers of AI? And it says it's given eight. We can the whole. It's done all the research for us. Don't worry. Yeah, come on. Misinformation. because You can see fake images and the like. Privacy concerns. Job losses. uh, You know, it can automate jobs that were previously done by humans. Bias and discrimination. So it can Mm. perpetuate them um, that that already exist in society. Uh, Market and financial volatility Mm -hmm. uh, because making decisions based on incomplete or inaccurate data can just send the markets haywire. Singularity, that it could surpass human intelligence, so Mm. you just have machines. It's not us, yeah. It it, is leading all the thinking with no critical thought from us. Weaponization, so it could be you know used to build chemical weapons or other dangerous yep, things. Yep. Uh, and misinformation campaigns, which we see a great yes, deal of, obviously. obviously. So Indeed. there we are. There's well, it's, it's the program sorted and, out, yes, thanks, to,
1: thanks to AI. Well, yes, but we are going to delve into it a little deeper because <laughs> it's it, It's very much of the moment, AI. Everyone's talking about it. seems to be out there. seems to be awareness both of the dangers, which we've just been listing, but also the advantages. I mean, the things it could do, medical breakthroughs, all kinds of stuff. And Rishi's got some summit this week. Indeed. All all of a sudden, from Indeed. nowhere. So it's we sudden. wanted to look into, is it a threat, or is it more of a threat than it is of an advantage? So we found someone who can give us that, who is human. Thank God. We assume so. Uh, Who is Tony Prescott. He's not human.
2: He's very good. He's very good. Tony Prescott, Professor of Cognitive Robotics at Sheffield University. So, Tony, uh, Rishi is uh, inviting a bunch of representatives from around the world to his summit at uh, at Bletchley Park. Uh, Is this... I mean, he's said, you know, that one of the dangers is the potential end of mankind. From artificial intelligence.
0: From artificial intelligence. Is he he overplaying it a bit? I I think you can uh, see a path... Towards uh, scenarios, future scenarios that are very unlikely but still possible, where uh, AI becomes dominant uh, uh, on our planet, and and that could spell bad news for humans. So, um, in what way? I mean, are we it, are we
2: talking about a reconstru- complete reconstruction of the Terminator happening here?
0: Uh, I think there's a lot of science fiction scenarios which are, are quite compelling but actually quite implausible. Um, but there are <laughs> Thank God. other scenarios where you can see AI becoming out of control. Uh, and therefore, you might want to start thinking now about how you would guard against them. So, you know, worst case scenarios are are uh, things such as AI deciding, perhaps even for our own good, that humanity should... Uh, be limited in some way, which might be against our wishes, uh, or uh, and uh, uh, there are actually more plausible scenarios where probably people with bad intentions misuse AI, and that could be an existential threat. But I think AI itself could be an existential threat in the future because we just don't know what the um, the limit is of what we might build here. We could certainly build AIs that are more intelligent than ourselves and, you know, second-guessing what they would want to do is difficult.
2: But yeah. isn't it also the question of, you know, how far you allow it to carry through the, the information it might, all the conclusions it might draw? So, I mean, it would be quite right, probably. I mean, a lot of people argue now there's too many people on the planet, we shouldn't have any more. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean, and that, that is science fiction scenario, that we start nuking the, the, the population. I mean, the, so AI might come out and say there's too many people, you've got to do something about it. It's when we allow it to do something about it itself, then we've got the problem.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's, there's two things here. One is, well, as we design AIs, how can we build in safeguards uh, so that they uh, don't try and do things which are against our interests? And people have, have thought about that for a long time, uh, You know, famously sort of Isaac Asimov's laws of robots and so on. Um, and it's actually quite hard to do, uh, to think what it is that we want AI to do uh, which won't get us into sort of the sort of King Midas trap, you know, of of wishing that you could turn things to gold by touching them, and finding out that that you know causes and also bad affects things. your food. Yeah, exactly. So you can't uh, eat gold. So how do we how do we yeah. write this optimization function for AIs? Is this this is what you should do uh, in a way that is foolproof against those kinds of of, of cockups? So that's one aspect. Uh, the second aspect is. How do we limit AI so they don't have too much power that they could, uh, if they decided to do something which was against our interests, implement that plan? Well,
1: let's let, let's go right back to the basics. On we, we've kind of gone into almost like the current issue, which is clear. But what is AI? Because it's a term that that's certainly been around, but much much more in the last couple of years. Suddenly. It's up there in front. So I suppose two questions. One, what actually, what's the best definition of AI? And why are we now, has there been some major leap forward, which is the reason we're all taking it so seriously?
0: Well, AI is the attempt to build uh, machines that think intelligently, which begs the question of what is intelligence? and, And generally, what we understand by that is, uh, to be able to do things that humans do that we regard as intelligent. And you know, fundamentally, that's things like problem solving, language, uh, creativity, uh, science, all those sorts of things we would see as intelligent. And if we see those in a machine, then we would probably recognize that as intelligent. So, uh, uh, and AI has been progressing, you know, uh in, in fits and starts over the last sort of five decades, or maybe longer. It started really about nineteen forty. And uh but in the last ten years, or well, twenty years, there's been a significant acceleration. And I think that's what's made people nervous now. We're seeing a lot of it, you know, in in the consumer
2: space, uh, because for example, Bing has got a supposedly an AI interface now. Is that And when you use it, it seems like it's scraping the internet and paraphrasing stuff. So I asked, I asked it, what is AI? It says AI is a, a branch of computer science that focuses on creating machines that can perform tasks that typically require human intelligence, such as learning, reasoning, and problem solving. And then it cre- credits a link to tech which has almost, but not exactly, that quote. I mean, it's paraphrased it. And yeah, I, I, a- I think that's what... Um... AI a lot of AI, ai seems to, that's that what right we now. seem to
0: be seeing a lot it's just a paraphrasing of what's already on the web that that's essentially what the large language models do so the the latest excitement about ai has come about because of these large language models of which chat gpt is the best known but there are several of them and what those models have done is they have collected a huge amount of uh, language data largely off the internet and also from books and so on and then they've analyzed that with a very large uh, artificial neural network with with billions of parameters in it and essentially that's memorized uh, huge chunks of text but it's also learned how words to connect to, uh, to each other so yes it is a kind of paraphrasing par- paraphrasing but it also can summarize it, it can also synthesize things in a way that that can be surprising to people so um it, it is it doesn't go beyond human knowledge because everything that's on the internet at the moment is generated by people but it, mm. it, it can sort of summarize that back to us which is quite a useful function
1: but it's right. quite a dim function, in a sense. It's not, I mean, we talk about intelligence, uh, but, but someone, you know, can, can cut and paste from the net and possibly even see different words in it. But to actually think, to to, to construct, if you like, beyond what is there, put two things together and come to a separate conclusion, that's that's artificial
2: intelligence itself. is it's still a human at the beginning of all of this who, who define what AI is, isn't
0: it? Well, uh, I think um, a large language model can put two and two together in that sense, in that it can say, things that have have never been said before, which is one of the fundamental features of language that was felt to be unique to humans. It can create new sentences that people have never used. Um, So what it learns about is is how words occur with other words, both sort of uh, sequentially and over relatively long chunks of text. And it it can do that to answer any question you give it. Uh, And it does so in a remarkably human-like way, and it pulls together pieces of knowledge from disparate parts of the internet to do that. So I think it's it's quite impressive. It's not simply taking a piece of text and summarizing it. It's finding links between bits of information uh, that is gathered from different places uh, that are relevant and address your question. So, um, I mean, we don't know what human creativity is Uh, We know that probably human creativity, a part of it, is drawing those sorts of links from having amassed large amounts of knowledge. So I think it is reflecting something that we could call intelligence. So people,
2: you know, lots of people write books where they do precisely that. They've got a bit of expertise in a particular area and they refer to other works and try and draw conclusions that haven't been drawn before. Uh, But there's a human brain working on that. So what you're saying is, well, okay, that human brain could, you know, could actually be replaced... By machine learning, by AI, artificial intelligence, which is drawing those conclusions and adding something else to it based on the experience that that machine has. And that could be greater than the power for a human to do that.
0: Well, I mean, these the, large language models already know and, you know, they have amassed a huge amount of knowledge. So they, you know, a human couldn't in their lifetime read all the material that, uh, ChatGPT has read uh, and certainly you wouldn't be able to retain it to the extent that that these large language models do so already they're super intelligent uh, in the amount of uh, of knowledge that they've amassed but what they are lacking is any uh, understanding of what that means beyond the, how words relate to each other so the meaning of words is partly how they relate to each other but also a big part of it is how they relate to the world um the non-linguistic world it's interesting you're using
1: the word understanding there
0: because that that is a very
1: key thing i mean the sense i suppose there are things like self-awareness is that something that could ever happen with computers and therefore understanding at that level and also can they talk to each other i mean we say they we're talking about several different things can they communicate with each other
0: well, one of the issues with the large language models at the moment is they are sort of something of a black box. So uh, you can, you know, you can query them, you can get responses from them, but you can't so much get inside them and connect up, you know, what they understand at a deeper level to other systems. So that that's something that people are working on. There are lots of different kinds of AIs. Is the other thing to say. So a, a large language model is a particular uh, uh, sort of AI that's good at. Uh, processing and and using language, but there are AIs for vision, sort of for analyzing visual scenes, there are AIs for planning, there are AIs for mathematical theorem proving. Um, all of these things can be connected up potentially and and then uh, you would start to have what people call uh, artificial general intelligence. And it, once you've started to connect these things up, and there's there's no reason in principle why they shouldn't talk to each other directly rather than through the intermediary of a human, then you're getting a much more rounded uh, set, set of capabilities. There's still the question of whether the AI actually understands anything. But I think once you connect the AI to sensors, uh, such as cameras and microphones and so on, you may be connected to robots so it can move around in the world, it can act in the world, then you're starting to give the AI the same kind of direct experience that our human brains have. And I think it'd be quite hard to argue uh, that an AI that could sense the world directly with its cameras and then talk about what it sees... Didn't have an understanding of the world, uh, you know. there would be a different to ours, but it would still be a form of understanding. So, because I they think- talk
1: about this, the consciousness, the ghost in the machine, the idea that somehow even humans, we don't really know what mind is and and consciousness and how that comes about, self consciousness, and is there yeah. an implication that if you have a computer sufficiently sophisticated, that would just somehow naturally arise from the, these in, these inputs?
0: Well, I mean, it, it could, uh, and there's no, uh, in principle, reason to think why it should not. I mean, if we go back a few hundred y- uh, years, it was very difficult for Descartes to imagine that the mind was the same as the body. So, you know, famously, he was a dualist. Um, now, most scientists are materialists, and they take the view that the mind and the brain are one thing, and that the mind is this sort of virtual entity that that sort of generated by the brain. So we've we've made that leap, and I, I I think we might well make a leap towards understanding consciousness as also being a property of physical systems, such as the brain, in which case there is no good reason to think that uh, there couldn't be an artificial form of consciousness, because why should consciousness just reside in biological entities if you had the right kind of architecture Uh, why shouldn't uh, a a suitably intelligent machine or robot uh, have self-awareness? So I think uh, we need to be careful about thinking that this thing, consciousness, is just for animals, just for humans. Because we've seen in the past that, that that things that we thought were unique to humans uh, aren't necessarily that, and that we can create artifacts which have these properties. That sounds terrifying.
2: Um, Absolutely it because terrifying. Because then you start to get into sort of like fundamentals, like uh, you know, getting to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and machine, <laughs> Go on, machines. Machines that I maybe mean, they
0: don't want to be fed or sheltered, but they want to survive. Uh, well, uh, I think there's a certain amount of anthropomorphizing going on there because uh, you know why should uh, a um, and AI care about surviving. The reason that uh, animals and humans care about that is we're evolved beings, uh, and we have this sort of primal urge to survive and to reproduce. So if we didn't have that, you know, we would Wouldn't go extinct. To. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, what, so, what, so what about... We don't necessarily have to build those into our machines, and our machines <laughs> could be much more relaxed about whether they exist They're or not. not. Right, well, that,
2: well, thank goodness for that. So, but what about sort of fundamental you know, issues that society faces, can they be fixed by AI? So, for example, you know, we've gone through a a few decades where, you know, we've had a vast uh, expansion of wealth on the planet, but also a a widening rich-poor gap. So could AI, you know, and there's lots of people obviously have opinions on uh, why that's happening and, you know, and and it becomes politics, it becomes left-wing and right-wing views as to how you deal with this sort of discrepancy. If you throw a machine learning in the middle of that, is it going to come with an answer? And how much of it is going to think, be, and where does think, politics get into all of that? And so I guess one of the questions I'm asking is, is AI going to be right-wing or left-wing? What's, <laughs> what, what's it going to end up
0: as? Well, I don't think it's either. I mean, I think AI is going to be a powerful tool for helping us understand our future. Uh, I think a, a good model for this is if you think about what people have done in terms of understanding climate change. So climate change, we understand climate change and we can predict the future of our climate and how, you know, for example, carbon emissions affect it. And we do that because we have these hugely powerful computer models. Um, and uh, to me, they're a form of AI. And we have uh, human AI teams who are trying to understand the climate and are trying to understand how greenhouse gases affect the climate and what things we can do to mitigate that. And that's been largely successful in changing the conversation uh, uh, from you know, well, you know, should we should we worry about uh, climate change? To yes, we should worry about it, and we need to do something. Uh, and what should we do now? So I think um, we have used these really complex intelligent computer programs to help us understand how to fix the climate. We haven't followed through yet, to do all the things that we need to do. But but more and more, we're relying on the computer models to tell us what would be the solutions that we could use. And
1: and economics could presumably fall in the same way, another incredibly complex thing, vast amounts of analysis, vast amounts of AI already involved, of course, in investment and things.
0: absolutely. And I think the problem right now is that the people that are using economic models uh, that, that are informed and maybe use AI are doing it to drive profit for their own companies. Um, they're not doing it to particularly address wealth inequality or reduce poverty or any of those things. So what we should be doing is, is, is using the power of AI to address those questions. You know, and to, and to question the models that are being used. So, I mean, you know, there's a great
2: deal of, you know, questioning now about whether central banks are using the right models by continually pushing up interest rates uh, to try and control inflation. I mean, maybe AI can say, well, actually, you've got
0: it all wrong. Well, yeah, there's a an issue called AI stupidity, which is not so much that the AI's are stupid, but they're quite limited. So they can reason about certain things. They can maybe tell you how to boost your profits, but they're not necessarily aware of the repercussions that that could have in in wider society. So there's there's a risk of over reliance on AI's in areas right like trading which could lead to sort of uh, market crashes and so on. So we have to build smart AIs that can see the bigger picture. Because the, the danger is, isn't it, just reaffirms current thinking
2: rather than introducing critical thought.
0: Well, which is why we need the right kinds of, of AIs. We need the the kinds of AIs like climate models, which can predict the future, and we can use them so essentially, if you have an AI that can predict the future, then you can say, well, this is the future we want. What do we have to do in order to get closer to that? So an analogy uh, is the sort of the oracle of ancient Greece. You could ask the, uh, the oracle any question and you'd get an answer. Uh, and I think AIs could be used like oracles in this sense. If you could ask the AI, how do we reduce wealth inequality? And it could perhaps say, well, you could restructure your economic system in this way, and that would reduce wealth inequality. It's then a case of obviously getting everybody to go along with that. But I think it's it would be a good way of finding out things we could do to make the world better. And you can apply it to climate, you can apply it to the economy, and you can apply it to all the different uh, challenges we have, you know, the United Nations sustainability goals. We could we could start to address all of those.
1: But one of the problems with the oracles, famously... In Greece, they would say something, it would be so hard to determine what it meant and would be open to interpretation by anyone in any different directions. And isn't part of the problem, as with all computers, that the building of it puts in a whole series of assumptions and ways of doing it. I've certainly seen accusations that because largely computers systems, current systems were built by middle-aged white men or younger white men, that, that that there is a kind of bias implicit in the way things are done and the way computers operate and everything else, and that that will be the same with AI. What you put in determines what you get out.
0: It's certainly true that the, the currently AIs are biased, and that's because, in, perhaps because there's some bias in the developers, but I think more fundamentally, there's bias in the training sets. So we're taking data off the internet and we're using that to train AIs, and that means that whatever bias there is in the internet, which is you know, sort of the bias that humans have broadly, is going to be inherited by the AI. So there's there's that risk, particularly when you're talking about these learning mod- models. And the, the progress in the last 20 years has, has been a lot about machine learning models. But the thing is, you have to put that together with other kinds of AI, which are able to you know, think deductively or think scientifically or or attempt to take the output of a ma- machine learning model and think what are the actual causing causal mechanisms that would make you think the conclusion of that model are true. So you can combine these different tools. Uh, and the other thing you can do, of course, is you can check whether the AI is making successful predictions. And if it's not, you, you can change the AI. So these things will evolve and get better over time, but we do have to be on the lookout for bias, and in particular for putting our own biases into the AI. So I guess it, it, the danger is letting it ultimately
2: draw the conclusion rather than human beings. So, I mean, I can see a huge advantage. If you've got an issue that you want to address, a big societal issue, you're holding a summit and you're getting some of the world's great thinkers, uh, AI might be part of that and is actually there... Throwing out some arguments for discussion with some reasoned information behind it, but the call is ultimately made by human beings. That sounds like a great outcome.
0: Well, it, 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 I think it is and it isn't because with the, with the um, with the AI, you have the possibility sort of to think long term and to and and to put in you know what, what it is you, you think should be the balance between sort of immediate. Uh, you know, positive things happening in, in, in the near term versus, you know, positive or negative things happening in, in the longer term. And the problem we have with with the governments we have at the moment is that the, there's a lot of near-term thinking. I mean, uh, Rishi claims to be thinking for the long term, but he's really not thinking for the uh, anything beyond, beyond the next... Uh, beyond winning community. the next well, election. let's, let's be yeah. honest,
2: having an AI summit this week, which seems to have come from nowhere... yeah. Uh, just when he's struggling in the polls. I mean, just could could be coincidence. So you don't need to be a particularly smart computer to work yeah. that one out, I suspect.
0: I mean, it's clear that the sort of the short term thinking, which has governed, you know, British politics for, for decades has resulted in, in a number of the current crises. For example, the housing crisis right now, because, you know, successive governments had failed to build enough houses, you know, uh, an AI you hope would have seen this coming. So it's, it's a case of how you find the right balance between using these kinds of intelligent models, I think, rather than thinking of them as AIs which have their own agenda, because I don't think they will have their own agenda, certainly for the foreseeable future. Yes, and at least not yet until they get a consciousness, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, so they will be systems which we can use to understand and predict the future, and then People will be able to say, well, we will like this vision of the future and not that one. But we want our politicians not just to be thinking about the near term. We want them to. So, probably we want to make these kinds of models democratically accessible. So that... Well,
1: that, that was where what I was coming on to because you'd mentioned bad actors earlier, potentially being uh, ways in which AI could go badly wrong for us. Not necessarily it's doing it itself, but people the way they use it. And one of the things that was discussed or is being discussed at this summit. Was about controls on AI. Is it possible, really, to institute anything that's going to control the development and where AI goes effectively?
0: Um, I, I think it's it's difficult, but it's been done before. For example, with nuclear weapons, which has uh, significantly limited nuclear prol- proliferation. I mean, it's there are differences, obviously, in that you know nuclear weapons require access to all sorts of things where you can restrict. Uh, people's access like plutonium and so on whereas ai just requires some powerful computers so it may be harder to to limit access to ai but you can also think about various safeguards so you can you, you can a- avoid putting ai's in charge of critical infrastructure, for example, with no intermediary. You know, if you have a bad actor who can take control of an AI, which is controlling your power stations, for example, then they could uh, cause explosions to take place. You know, there could be really devastating damage. And and, uh, governments are worried about this for some time. You know, cybersecurity is about preventing bad actors from doing these sorts of things. And bad actors can be empowered by having AI tools. Um, we, so we need to worry about that. You know, AIs will be good at uh, breaking codes and so on. They'll be able, be good at getting around security systems. Uh, all these sorts of developments could come through AI, which would make it harder to protect our institutions. So Alex Karp was on uh, TV over the weekend on the BBC.
2: He's the CEO of Palantir Technologies, who so have been doing... AI stuff with NHS records, which actually sort of raises the question about what is AI being used for now, but we'll park that one. He said, I believe that we are in an arms race and the world is fracturing, and if it was my decision to invite adversarial countries, talking about the summit this week, I would not have. So is the world going to be split between those who uh, you know, are are embracing AI and those who are not, and the different uses that are put to AI? And, And what are companies that are throwing themselves headlong into this? What are they hoping to gain are they thinking that this is going to give us a competitive advantage for our economy or is it a defense thing what
0: what do you why does the world need to be so split on this well i think everybody's pretty much sort of fixed on uh, on achieving ai uh, and there is an arms race so i think it is um there are risks obviously in in sharing insights with your competitors but at the same time, if there are going to be ground rules, they need to be agreed by everybody because there's not much point in the West agreeing to limit developments in AI in one direction if China is going to head, you know, headlong towards that objective. So I think uh, it's difficult to find the balance there, but it, it, there needs to be a, a global conversation about how we do this. I mean, at the moment, a lot of the breakthroughs are made. Uh, in uh, the US and in Europe. And then, you know, China piggybacks on that technology. But it's also developing its own AI technology and, and could easily surpass the West in, in certain areas that may already have done so. But whenever, I mean, if they're
2: doing that to create the expertise to all the technology to sell on, we're never going to buy that, are we? Because it is it is a black box. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's too difficult to pull an AI solution apart, isn't it? We don't know what the bias is within the technology that they, they develop. So there's going to be huge mistrust for anything that comes from what's not considered a friendly nation, isn't
0: there? I mean, I think that there are risks. I mean, uh, with a lot of these things, you know, the 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 consumer has the right not to use that product. But the, the problem is that, that we're, you know, progressing towards a surveillance society, for example, that we didn't uh, think we wanted, you know, and and that's being enabled by artificial intelligence. And, and these things are quite incremental. You know, we have cameras on the streets and that seems a good idea, but then suddenly the camera on the street can do facial recognition and it can pick your face out of the crowd. And, and you said, well, actually, is that what we wanted when we put cameras in the street? So, and, and that's one of the risks with AI is because, uh, you know, it, it can move quite quickly uh, and it can, can be very difficult to keep up with that if you're trying to create regulation. So one of the debates perhaps they will be having this week is about uh, privacy and how, you know, AI, is invading privacy and enabling things like facial recognition in places where we don't want it. So what about what it's doing now? So I mentioned Alex Karp. So his company
2: got into the NHS. They offered their services for free so that they could help try and sort out something to do with NHS records. Don't quite know what. But can you give us examples of how AI is being used Commercially now for the betterment of the organisations or for the countries that it's working in.
0: Well, I mean, AI is making incredible advances in healthcare. So, uh, uh, so the the great power of AI is is to take huge amounts of data and to find patterns in data that wouldn't be obvious to a human, even an expert human. So, uh, you know, in in sort of diagnosing rare diseases or identifying potential new treatments for disease, people are now extensively using. AI, So AI can suggest, uh, it, it, it can um, come up with potential new therapies, it can know things about the properties of different drugs, and it can know about if you created a new kind of compound, how it would interact with other compounds and so on. So I think the potential for new medical treatments building on AI is vast and, and, and really quite exciting. Um, I'm not sure about the uh, reorganising the NHS records. I'm sure there's scope for introducing some artificial yeah, intelligence. I can imagine a lot of data privacy. <laughs> there issues. There are data privacy issues, but you know there are data privacy issues as, as soon as you put your data on the internet in a way that people can access it. So, so being accessed by an a- a- AI is you know it's 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 already there in the sense that there are lots of people that that are able to but, access this data but, for different reasons
1: as we as we sort of come towards the end of our discussion here which is, is absolutely extraordinary getting away insights into what is potentially a future should we i mean the central question i think a lot of people's mind is should we fear this more than see its opportunities is it something to be welcomed mm. something that's just inevitable and we have to accept it or is it actually opening up a world of you know medical and economic and even climate science uh, things that will be
2: hugely beneficial to us? Where is the balance? In and, and, and one thing we could fear, just to throw in at the end as well, because we haven't had a chance to discuss it yet, but it seems quite big to me, is just this whole idea of deep fakes and the idea yeah. that uh, you know public opinion can be swayed by seeing stuff that actually didn't happen, uh, and I know this is why uh, you know the the, the idea that uh, everybody should be Elon Musk wants everybody who's on uh, Twitter or whatever it's called these days X uh, to be identified as a human being so that you can't get human opinion being driven by machines pushing agendas with it's supported by deep fakes, and the technology there is,
0: is quite scary. So, that's that, that's a worrying side of it all, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's it's not new. I mean, bots have been on uh, Twitter for for probably since it began, uh, and swaying public opinion. And I think sort of North Korea and Russia probably have armies of bots right now trying to but, do. These but but
2: if they if those bots yeah.
0: learn and can adjust their message, and uh, you know if they've got
2: if they've got one agenda which they've got to pursue, and they can duck and dive and bob and weave and change that messaging uh, based on how it goes.
1: Yeah, but, but, but yeah, things like it, photos, people will be faking photos. I mean, you know, like Stalin's period, you know, people being erased from from photos and things. That's not new. That image, that fakery isn't new. It's just the, the sophistication of it that's new.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll we, we just have to learn to be uh, less trusting and more suspicious. You won't be able to trust the video anymore because you know that you can sort of substitute Joe Biden for whoever is in the figure. Uh, in in the video uh, and and it looks as though he was doing something he shouldn't so this is just uh the future which is you know both good and bad that's a bad side of it but we there's enormous opportunities for cre- creativity now with video that didn't exist before ai was able to manipulate it so i think there is it, it is a new world and it's as as dramatic a change in the world as the invention of computers or the invention of the internet i mean arguably it's the first time in in human history or at least certainly the 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 first time since since the neanderthals left that there'll be another form of intelligence on the planet with which we can communicate and will be at our level even beyond our level and that could be a fantastic opportunity i mean we haven't talked about space exploration but i think the opportunity to get out into space and explore our solar system beyond is really opened up by AI and robotics. And if you think about the long-term future of humanity, space, I think, is an important part of it. And that's a really exciting thing that we'll be able to do now. I have to say, I've
2: avoided showing myself as a hitchhiker's guide <laughs> geek by saying the answer to everything is 42 well, yeah, and that yeah. other great uh, intelligence of the dolphins who... Yes. Uh, and the and enormous say, computer
1: that solved <laughs> everything.
2: <laughs> but yeah, all right. Well, it's and just a final question. And why, why now? It feels like, you know, this has all of a sudden become very big news. Has there been some sort of major movement forwards over the last year or two that's uh, brought this into the headlines?
0: Uh, th- th- I mean, I think the large language models are remarkable in terms of what they can do, and in-, in terms of how they work, they're not actually that a big an advance from where AI was even thirty years ago. What has changed is the availability of really powerful computers in you know, sort of server farms that can train these huge. Uh, neural networks, and make it plausible to to build a neural network with billions of parameters in it, and then huge data sets which you can harvest off the internet. Uh, so, back in the 1980s and 90s, when I was doing my PhD, you know, we, we were using slow, small computers, and we had to generate our own data. Uh, and now we have these vast uh, data sets we can use and these really powerful server farms to train the models. So that's what has made the difference. Uh, and what we've discovered, in fact, is that these learning algorithms are extremely powerful, uh, probably as powerful as anything we have in our own brains, but we do what we don't have yet is the what I would call the cognitive architecture, the putting of all these parts together that you have in a human brain, which makes us so adaptable, which gives us what you could call general intelligence. Well, I, 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 there isn't an in-principle reason why we couldn't make artificial general intelligence, and that will de- definitely be a significant further step, but we're not there yet. The moment of self-consciousness. Slightly worrying, but there we are. Um,
1: potentially. Tony, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, yeah. Scary, I think, as long as... Long, well, uh,
2: I think there's a lot of hope. And you, you yeah. think, you know, we, we're worried about, you know, the consciousness of computers. I'm more worried about some of the politicians we've got, uh, really, well, to be honest. Could be replaced. Be replaced by a computer might be a step forward, perhaps. Uh, Anyway, Teddy, thank you for being with us. Uh, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Yeah, Because, of course, Douglas Adams said that, you know, the, yes. the, the dolphins were the smartest creatures right. on the planet. Yes. Uh, and we yeah. were the second most yes. intelligent. Yes. Uh, so, uh, which brings us nicely on to what we're going to talk about well, next indeed, week. Indeed. Animals, because they, yeah. how intelligent are animals, Well, actually?
1: and more to the point, should they have rights? Should certain animals have rights? There's been a big series of cases in the US and, and here and in Europe about the extent to which animals have any innate, inalienable rights to anything. Well, or how should we accord them what rights? What sort of rights are we talking about? Well, the right to life, the right to um, being able to not be hurt, the right to, I don't know, have some, have some quality of life. Mm. I mean, you can define these things in any way you like, but does it make sense to give animals rights? Uh, in any way, we can't ask them, right. uh, obviously, what rights they, they require, request and require. So animal
2: rights activists, what actually are the rights that they are fighting for? Well, indeed. And mm. is it, does it make sense to give the same right to an ant that it makes to give to a... An elephant. Do you know? We realize half our audience again; these two have totally lost it. Well no, but no, this these are this this the things
1: that people are the, talking about.
2: Yeah, the yes. right fact. And animals, animals are talking about property, but yeah, probably. Yeah, probably we, we can't understand. Them. Indeed, maybe Indeed. machine learning will we'll start to figure out. We'll what they're figure it out. Anyway, we'll certainly
1: yeah. talk about this next week
2: on the Y curve. So we'll join you for that, and you can join us as well. That's the way it works, isn't it? And maybe uh, some animals too. <laughs> perhaps as well, get your dog to listen in. Absolutely, that's next week on the Y curve. Thanks for listening this week.
1: Bye. The Y
0: curve.